0: Welcome to the Judgment Enforcement Hour with Joe Dickerson. In our program, we reveal the unrealistic expectations of many creditors and the schemes of debtors and fraudsters that are nearly as old as man's time on earth. Now, here is your host, Joe Dickerson, with the new processes to outsmart the bad guys.
1: Good evening, Mr. and Ms. America. Thanks for being with us again for the Judgment Enforcement Hour. We are honored this evening to have with us a very special guest, Mr. Jason Ellison, who is founding partner of uh, Ellison and Lesbe, a law firm in the Tampa St. Pete area. I've had the pleasure of working with Jason now for several years on some uh, very significant cases, and he's done an outstanding job for our clients, and I appreciate the fact that he has uh, agreed to be with us this evening. Since Jason is an attorney, you'll have to bear with me for just a second because I am required uh, to read the following. This information is not intended to be legal advice and may not be used as legal advice. Legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case. Every effort has been made to assure that the inspiration is up to date, but it is not intended to be a full and exhaustive explanation of the law in any areas, nor should it be used to replace the advice of your own legal counsel. Any opinions expressed are strictly the opinions of your speakers. With that behind us, Mr. Ellison, thank you for joining us, and I would like for you to be kind enough to give our listeners a little bit of your background and a little information about your practice of law before we get into the meat of our program this evening, uh, which will be researching fraud and uh, recovering your money. Uh, We're going to be talking uh, specifically about several points of law, and... uh, Jason, go right ahead, sir. All
2: right. Thanks, Jim, uh, for having me. Uh, As as Joe mentioned, my name is Jason Ellison. I'm an attorney, a licensed attorney in the state of Florida. I practice in the Tampa, St. Petersburg area of Florida, but my practice spans throughout the entire state of Florida. I'm licensed in all state courts in the state of Florida, as well as the northern, middle, and southern districts of Florida uh, federal courts, as well as the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, my practice spans a, uh, a pretty expansive list of, of business uh, law practice, uh, both in real estate and businesses, from corporate representations uh, to uh, real estate uh, litigation actions, um, but with a primary focus on judgment collection. It was earlier in my career whenever I realized that getting the judgment, getting the piece of paper, wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't really a win because my clients hadn't actually collected anything. They hadn't actually succeeded yet. Uh, they may have won uh, the battle, uh, but until you actually have the money in hand, you haven't actually won anything. So I began to uh, endeavor uh, to assist my clients in judgment enforcement. And of course, Florida is known as a debtor's haven, a place where uh, judgment debtors will flock to, to protect and shield their assets. Uh, I know we'll get into this a little bit later, Joe, but uh, uh, Florida is known for its unlimited homestead exemption uh, that is uh, protected from the sale uh, against uh, against forced sale by a creditor. And uh, that, amongst many different uh, debtor protections, makes Florida a popular destination for people that are trying to avoid judgments.
1: But that concept is not always the final word, is it? They don't always Uh, get to keep their house.
2: Okay. No, it, it's not the final word. It's not, uh, you know, and certainly there are things that we can and and frequently do uh, nice. to try to collect judgments in Florida. Uh, a couple ways that you can crack an egg, and uh, and, and we've had a, a little bit of success over the years in doing so.
1: <laughs> yes, you have. Well, uh, as I have said just about every week, that eighty uh, percent of the civil judgments. Uh, in the United States are never enforced and that's why uh, both you and I are in business and uh, as our uh, friend Robert E. Lee said, effort comes from a dissatisfaction with what is, and what is is 80% failure rate uh, in collecting and enforcing these judgments. So as Jason said, When you go to court and you win the judgment, I've had clients sit back and go to the mailbox every day for week after week after week, and finally they'll either call me or they'll call the attorney and say, "Uh, by the way, uh, that check hasn't come. When do you think it'll be here? And of course, the response is always, well, what check? Well, the check that the court said they had to give me to pay for this judgment that we won. Well, folks, sorry, Uh, you need to understand, uh, and we talked about this before we ever took your case, winning the judgment is the easy part. It's half of it, but it's the easy half. Now you have a piece of paper that says you have the right to go find that money, and you have the right to take it if you find it, and uh, that is where the rubber meets the highway. So tonight, Jason's going to be telling us about uh, collecting judgments in the debtor haven of Florida. And we have decided to uh, cover the following three topics as time allows. We'll talk about house raids or writs of execution, fraudulent transfer actions against spouses and children, and my favorite, examples of piercing the Florida Homestead Act. So, Jason, let's first talk about the house raids. Tell us what that is so our listeners can understand it, and uh, then we'll talk about how much fun it is to do those.
2: Sure. So, so a house, house raid is, a, is a, a, a term of art, right? Uh, it, it's, it's more uh, legally known as uh, execution and levy, and, uh, and you will execute and levy on assets of the judgment debtor. Any asset of the judgment debtor that is not uh, exempt by law is subject to subject to execution and levy to satisfy your judgment. So one of the particular uh, things that we like to use in the state of Florida is uh, the ability to go after assets of the judgment debtor located within the judgment debtor's home. So in Florida, we have uh, two different uh, exemptions for personal property, depending on whether or not the debtor claims a homestead and whether or not the debtor has a spouse living with them. But in the, in the grand scheme of things, you're looking at a, a personal property exemption anywhere between $1,000 and $8,000 for personal property of the debtor. Now, if you're thinking about your well-to-do wealthy debtor, the Rembrandt hanging on the wall is obviously worth more than one to $8,000. And so, clearly, a, a, an execution uh, and, and a levy um, and having the sheriff go with you to the debtor's house to pick up these uh, pieces of property uh, and then eventually sell those pieces of property at a public auction um, and, and to take that money and apply it to your judgment, uh, you can see how that would work. You can see if uh, if a, a very well-to-do uh, individual is living in a multimillion-dollar home chances are the personal property located inside that multimillion-dollar home could be sold to satisfy, at least in part, satisfy uh, the judgment that you've obtained against such an individual. Uh, But that doesn't necessarily mean that this type of execution or this type of judgment collection activity should only be utilized against persons who have a a multi-million dollar home or who you know have a Rembrandt hanging on the wall. This particular strategy is utilized, and and I have utilized it frequently, when it's time to demonstrate to the judgment debtor that you have the capability of invading their life. And there's no more sacred place to invade than a person's home. And uh, many times... Uh, we, and, and in the past, I've had an experience where uh, we will show up with the sheriff, and the sheriff uh, tells them what they're there to do. The judgment debtor very politely declines, tells the sheriff, no, thank you. Uh, you're not allowed in my house. Uh, you don't have a warrant. You know that they've seen that on TV. Uh, you don't oh, have yeah. a warrant. You're not allowed in. Uh, but, you know, we will have already obtained from the circuit judge what's known as a break order, which allows the sheriff to break and enter if necessary into the home, uh, and, and, uh, begin the process of the levy against the debtor's personal property. So in such a circumstance, it may not be that the value of the personal property is there, but the value is in demonstrating to the judgment debtor, what you're able to do. And regardless of whether or not they have personal property exemptions, uh, and, and depending on what that number is for the judgment debtor, um, those exemptions are heard by a judge in a subsequent court proceeding after the personal property has already been removed uh, from the house. So you can envision a a situation where someone is is not thrilled with the concept that their personal property is being removed from their house, and all of a sudden they may find money uh, that they didn't have before to pay your judgment. Um, equally, uh, there 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 are certainly uh, assets that are not subject to execution, um, such as retirement accounts, IRA accounts. Um, I can't force someone to uh, liquidate their IRA account. However, if they voluntarily liquidate their IRA account or take money out of their IRA account uh, to have us stop a levy that's in process, um, my clients are a lot of times more than happy to do so. So you can see, Joe, the the uh, the execution and levy against home furnishings and assets with inside the home isn't necessarily just about the value of those assets that you can sell and liquidate, but it also can be uh, an effective tool against people who don't want to have uh, their home itself, their, their sacred home, invaded by a judgment creditor uh, and, that- and to have their personal belongings taken.
1: Well, that's absolutely right, Jason. And as Sun Wu said in The Art of War, take from a man that which he cherishes, and he will follow your ways. So oftentimes when we execute on uh, one of these court orders, Jason, we often know before we get there what the most valuable assets are probably going to be in their home and have made arrangements accordingly. Uh, For instance. One of my favorite things to do is if the person's buying their home, then chances are they have a mortgage on the home, and chances are that the mortgage holder is escrowing for principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. It has been my opinion for a long time that if the mortgage company is escrowing for the homeowner's insurance, of course, they're doing that to be sure they get paid in case the home... uh, burns down. And that is rightful as it should be. But if they're escrowing for that, a part of the monthly payment is for the payment of the insurance premium. So I believe that if they are escrowing for that, and they're going to be making the payment, they know the name and address of the insurance company, and they know the policy number. So guess what? The mortgage company gets one of your lovely subpoenas, and we always ask the mortgage company to kindly provide us with a name and address and policy number of the homeowner's uh, insurance policy. When I say address, I mean the address of the insurance company. Uh, they are the next ones to get one of your lovely subpoenas, and we ask them for a copy. I say ask. Actually, it's a demand uh, for a copy of the homeowner's insurance policy with all schedules and addendums there, too. And upon that instrument, when we get it back, we will find itemized uh, the most valuable personal property that is owned by the homeowner. That includes their guns their jewelry, their uh, expensive watches, uh, their artwork, their collectibles, uh anything else that uh, is probably near and dear to their heart because they have that scheduled uh, beyond policy limits, and they wouldn't be paying a premium on it, one, if they didn't own it, and two, if it wasn't near and dear to their hearts. So that is among the first things that we take when we're doing one of those raids. And Jason, I want to also remind our listeners that we typically ask the court when that instrument is issued uh, to include in there, uh, language that allows us to confiscate our debtors' computers, cell phones, and any other electronic communication devices, and further allows us the right to do a forensic analysis thereof. And that's where we Often get a home run, and we can talk about that a little further uh, as we move along this afternoon. But uh, I just wanted to point those things out as we're talking about what we can accomplish with these rates.
2: Well, that's a great point, Joe. And, and to uh, you know, uh, to, to that point, you you know about certain things when you're walking in the door, and you know what you're expecting to see because you've done your homework, uh, and, and you know what. Uh, the debtor boasts about on social media about you know what they have in their home, things of that nature, but some of the most valuable things that you get in one of these executions is what you didn't know about before and uh, i'm I'm reminded of a time in uh in South Florida when we did one of these executions and uh, and and sitting on the dining room table uh, was a bank statement for an entity of which the judgment debtor was not uh, on paper. Connected to, and uh, and the judgment debtor, you know, of course, uh, you know, we, we couldn't have found this entity, but for doing this, uh, but for doing this execution and finding this paperwork on the judgment debtor's uh, dining room table, um, evidencing the fact that he was actually uh, the puppet master controlling these organizations and shielding and hiding money through these organizations uh to which on paper he was never actually connected. So uh, you know and, and the same thing can be found inside of cell phones inside of computers. Um, so yeah to your credit uh, Joe uh, what you what you don't know uh is is equally as valuable in one of these executions as the property that you know about uh that you're going after.
1: Absolutely. And that's when you do the forensic analysis of those electronic devices and you hit some really good home runs there because um, that's where they think they're hiding everything. And uh, keep in mind, uh, just because they've erased it off of the computer doesn't mean it's been erased. It means it's not readily Available for the naked eye, but I assure you, our experts can get into those and do frequently uh, without the passwords and without all of the information that you would normally want to ask uh, to access your computer. Uh, and same thing with the phones. You know, we don't have the information to uh, to uh, open the phone if we don't uh, if they're uh, passworded or have a code on them. But the forensic analyst uh, can get into those and have found some wonderful information. We've got about two minutes yes, here before a break, uh, Jason. So go ahead with your comment, and then we'll break for a commercial.
2: Sure. So we we you know we we live in a digital world now. Uh, you know the, the world has changed uh, in in the amount of electronic data that is now uh, saved. To devices that uh, that many people don't even realize that it's saved to um, is is uh, instrumental to judgment collection, and likewise the legal industry has also changed and uh, and has had to grow. Uh, courts now frequently enter um, uh, discovery orders that require computers to be turned over and inspected by forensic inspectors, and the uh, the metadata that's contained within uh, electronic and native format uh, makes and breaks litigation. Uh, because now now we have this information at our fingertips and what what you used to be able to uh, to, to burn with a match uh, and, and, a, and a piece of paper uh, can no longer be destroyed um, just as easily and and it can be very helpful in judgment collection
1: absolutely well it's time for our first break so we'll be back in a couple of minutes and to continue on <laughs>
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see
2: in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
0: Learn why 80% of civil money judgments are never enforced in the United States. Ensure that you have the best chance to actually recover your judgment and get the money the court awarded to you. Order a copy of Joe Dickerson's new book, Diagnostic and Prescriptive Judgment Enforcement, you can get your copy for just twenty four ninety five with no shipping and handling costs. Call 303-974-5610 or order via email from Joe at FinancialForensicServices.com. That's 303-974-5610 or Joe at com. Did you know that 80% of civil judgments awarded to creditors are never collected? Be one of the 20% that successfully collects. Joe Dickerson is the nation's leading financial forensic expert. Contact Joe at 303-974-5610 or by email to joe at financialforensicservices.com for a free consultation about your judgment enforcement needs. That's 303-974-5610 or joe at FinancialForensicServices.com for your free judgment enforcement initial consultation with Joe Dickerson. Contact him today.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: You are tuned in to the Judgment Enforcement Hour. To reach host Joe Dickerson or his guest this week, call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show.
1: Uh, welcome back. Uh, Jason, let's continue for a few minutes here with our raids. Of course, we've talked about house raids, but this same instrument that allows us to Uh, make a raid of the home uh, can also be used for uh, raiding offices and other facilities owned by the judgment debtor. So do you want to speak briefly to that?
2: Sure. So again, uh, the the technical application of the execution and levy is to obtain assets belonging to the judgment debtor. So we can utilize this procedure at any location where the judgment debtor has assets. The judgment debtor is hiding assets at a uh, a friend's house, if the judgment debtor is hiding assets at a significant other's house, uh, we can utilize this procedure to go in and get the judgment debtor's assets. Uh, of course, you know, a caveat is you, you can't utilize this procedure to go uh, pick up assets that you know belong to someone else. Uh, but uh, but as long as, uh, as long as you've got a good faith belief that these assets belong to the judgment debtor uh, or that the judgment debtor is utilizing them, um, then then, uh, in many instances, you can use the same procedure or similar procedure to go get assets uh, in different locations
1: absolutely and uh, along those lines, uh, you talk about taking their assets oftentimes, the information that we get is much more valuable than the physical assets that we uh, take and ultimately have to liquidate uh, and One thing that is often overlooked uh, by attorneys and uh, others who are participating in these raids, as well as the uh, deputies, and that is the company copying machine. Uh, people are often not aware, but those copying machines uh, make a picture of every image that is copied on the copy machine or that is uh, set up to uh, make, uh, what do you call them? When uh, You've got oh, the... Uh, scanned yes thank you yeah had a blank there for a minute. The scanning, everything that's scanned is also uh, recorded in those machines and our digital people keep, can uh, get into those uh, fairly easily. So uh, that is something that we offer as a part of our firm here at Financial Forensic Services is both the digital computer experts, electronic experts, and also the forensic accountants because oftentimes when we do the raid, we gather the information, then we have to ask analyze it, and it is in such tremendous quantities of information that you have to do a very careful analysis that you don 't lose some of the good stuff and that you have the good information organized in such a way that you can utilize it and take full advantage of it so I think we 're at a point now. Where we can go ahead and talk about fraudulent transfers, and uh, you had indicated that you wanted to uh, specifically point out how we can use those against spouses and ultimately with some of the children.
2: Yes, well, as you pointed out earlier in the show, uh, you, you know, focusing on a judgment debtor's most valuable assets uh, and and uh, and, and fo- focusing your efforts there can a lot of times. Um, you know, bring them to the table. And while we're not talking about an asset per se, when you start to pursue uh, that which a judgment debtor cares about the most, namely their spouse or their children, it can have um, uh, significant psychological impacts on them uh, that would cause them to want to resolve things with you where they had been stubborn or very business-minded about it before. So uh we will uh, again uh, within the confines of the law uh, always uh will be able to track and trace instances where the judgment debtor has made transfers of either assets or cash to family members uh a spouse or their children um and in in the state of Florida which is a uh, subscriber to the Uniform Fraudulent Transfers Act uh, at least Florida's variation of it, we will be able to then pursue that family member and file an, an, an additional piece of litigation or file in Florida what's known as a proceedings supplementary to execution against that family member in the same lawsuit and proceed and, and pursue collection of those assets that were fraudulently transferred. And so, um, you know, it it it's not always uh, as... Um, as intentional as one might think. Of course, there's always the situation, and, and I'm, I'm dealing with this one right now, where a gentleman, um, three months before we started uh, chasing him to get, to get our judgment, transferred virtually his only asset to his wife. And uh, and and she didn't pay him any money. I just took his deposition last week. She didn't pay him any money. There's no you know no, no uh, thing of value was exchanged for this asset. Um, he basically uh, just did it to get around the judgment uh, and and thinking that that was going to do the trick. Um, that's what Florida's fraudulent uh, transfer statute is is envisioned for. When someone takes an asset that would otherwise be subject to execution and they gift it. Or transferred away for less than reasonably equivalent value, a judgment debtor, uh, a judgment creditor is entitled to pursue not only the judgment debtor but also the transferee of that asset uh, and, uh, and and recover the asset. And in instances where the asset is no longer available um, because it was you know uh, absconded with, driven off a cliff, or, or otherwise uh, uh, disappeared, we're also able to obtain now in Florida, a judgment, uh, a money judgment against that transferee. And when you're talking about a, a, a spouse, uh, the judgment against the transferee can have additional benefits because now you may be able to attach marital property, which otherwise was not subject uh, to execution, at least in Florida, not subject to execution. So uh, in, in, in instances where it's a little bit less obvious is where a uh, judgment debtor will deposit um earnings from his or her business into a joint bank account, uh distributions, stock uh that goes into a joint bank account, uh, you may think that it is untouchable uh by virtue of the fact that it's in a marital bank account and in Florida, marital assets many times are are exempt from execution of of only uh, the judgment creditor of one of the spouses. And you say, "Oh shucks, I can't I can't touch it because it's in a joint bank account." But if you sit back and and Uh, consider what assets had been placed into that account and by whom, and if the vast majority of the monies in that account were placed in there by your judgment debtor and they were done so uh, satisfying the badges of fraud of Florida's Uniform Fraudulent Transfer Act, you may be able to establish a fraudulent transfer claim against the judgment debtor and his or her spouse, even though there wasn't that aha moment where they, they really said to themselves, I know what we'll do. We'll, will defraud our creditors. Uh, it's, it's effectively a constructive fraudulent transfer in that instance. So in, in now two instances, we see how we can utilize Florida's fraudulent transfer statute to pursue assets that the judgment debtor uh, had at one point, um, but then subsequently left the judgment debtor's hands uh, for, for greener pastures. Um, but we can claw that back and obtain that.
1: Yeah, and I think we need to explain also that uh, how this works with the children, because we're not the dirty old men that are harming our bad guys' uh, children. Uh, I think what we're talking about here uh, is when uh, the debtor sets up a bank account for their children, uh, and it may say, uh, you know, mom and dad sign on the account because the child's a minor, but then they use that account to take uh, proceeds of their uh, dastardly deeds, whatever it may be, or assets that they have that otherwise would be able to reach and uh, hide them from their creditors then that can be unwound uh, just like any other fraudulent transfer and you know my my layman's uh, example of the fraudulent transfer uh, is i know the law says it's done with the intent to quote hinder delay and defraud the creditor and that is the the ultimate objective when they're hiding the money is to delay paying it back to the creditor that is the just owner of that But uh, what happens uh, from a practical and from a simple standpoint is that when you prove that 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 transfer uh, occurred uh, fraudulently for those purposes, then effectively the court order basically says uh, to the equivalent of that transfer didn't happen. We are unwinding it. We're putting it back where it was in the hands of the judgment debtor, and now the creditors can come get it. So effectively, that's what happens when uh, you find assets that have been fraudulently conveyed, whether it's money, uh, real estate, uh, personal property, or otherwise. uh, It comes back to the ownership or possession uh, or rights of the debtor, and then it's fair game for the creditors to go after.
2: Right, And, 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 and I think you hit the nail on the head. It's about the judgment debtor. You know, it, it's, not about, it's not about the children. It's not about harming the children. I mean, nobody's, nobody's that heartless to, to set out to intentionally harm uh, kids. Um, but at the same time, if the judgment debtor puts his or her own children at risk by unscrupulous activities, uh, then that's on the judgment debtor. That's not on, on the judgment creditor that's just pursuing assets that should be available for execution. And I'll give you real-world examples. Uh, where, where this is applicable and, and in satisfying, at least uh, every case is different. You, you gave a, a fantastic uh, legal disclaimer at the beginning of the show, um, you know, but, but a circumstance where, and I've seen this before, where someone is making $300 monthly payments to their child's 529 or their child's uh, prepaid college tuition plan. Okay. Um, and, and they've been making these payments for seven years or eight years and they're making them, and you know what, they made the last three payments, even though a judgment had been entered against them. Uh, Many courts, uh, at least in the state of Florida, are going to see that not as a fraudulent transfer. They've signed a contract that requires them to make these payments, a lot of times with regard to uh, uh, the the prepaid college tuition, and that's not trying to evade your judgment creditors by putting it out of the reach of uh, your judgment creditors. Now, conversely... Let's consider a situation, Joe, that you and I are familiar with where a judgment debtor took about half a million dollars and bought their adult child an annuity and gave their adult child an annuity. And that on the other hand, is going to be, uh, ho- well, hopefully considered, in in the, in the state of Florida at least, a fraudulent transfer. It was given for no value, and you've got half a million dollars, lump sum, all at the same time being transferred to a family member of the judgment debtors. Just because to keep that half million dollars in the hands of the judgment debtors would not have ended well for them. They, that would have been seized by their judgment creditor. So you can see clearly a, a distinction here, um, you know, where you have the judgment debtor um, putting their children at risk by giving them half a million dollars as opposed to uh, a, a judgment debtor, a good parent that is, you know, making regular recurring monthly payments towards their child's tuition, uh, which is uh, many, uh, if not all instances, not going to be a fraudulent transfer.
1: Yeah, when I first looked at that matter, uh, as you said, we've been working it together. And I thought that what we were looking at was money laundering. But uh, come to find out, uh, you know, I was curious as to where our debtors came up with that $500,000 that they didn't have when we started enforcing our judgment against them. So we went back to uh, the checking account that belonged to the parents, to see the source of those funds. And we found that it had been coming from uh, offshore bank accounts into uh, their account here in the United States. And then when it reached uh, the $500,000 neighborhood, uh, one check was written out to buy the annuity. The daughter only kept the annuity uh, for about three months and then cashed it in. And uh, now we're going to have to find out where that cash went, but uh, when we found the accounts uh, in the offshore uh, havens that the money came from, we were able to reach out internationally and freeze those accounts. And we'll be getting the proceeds of those. So these things work in several different directions, and when you find uh, one thing, it awfully leads to dozens of other factors that you didn't even know existed. Uh,
2: I- indeed, and, and um, as I said, you know, many many times um, the the phone rings after you file that fraudulent transfer lawsuit against a spouse or or a child. Um, because, yes, they were, uh, in many instances, they were trying to hide the money, and they didn't want you to get it. And they just thought, well, if I just put it over here, maybe they won't find it, or maybe they'll go away because it's not mine. Um, but when you initiate litigation against a loved one, uh, people will... Uh, you know, they just feel differently about the situation because now their problems are affecting uh, the people that they care about, and uh, and 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 that that a lot of times uh, ends up uh, resulting in, in settlement, which wasn't available before. But uh, but people will will find that find that money or, or find an ability to make payments on the judgment um, because they they just they don't want to put people through that.
1: Yeah, and as you mentioned a while ago on the on the house raids, I have settled more than uh, a few judgment, uh, judgments uh, when we started uh, loading up the moving van with the assets out of the house. And the judgment debtor jumps up and says, what in the heck is it going to take to get you off of my uh, backside? And I explained to him, look, you know, we have no ill will against you at all. We wish you every success in the world. Because every dollar you make for the rest of your life, I'm taking part of it for my client. So at such time as you don't enjoy having me as a, as a business partner, I'll go away. All I want is 100%. And uh, oftentimes we have negotiated prior to that raid with our client to uh, perhaps forgive part of the interest or part of the legal fees if we can get a 100% settlement and More uh, times than not, we can negotiate a settlement right there, and we never have to load the moving van, and we never have to uh, incur the storage cost, and uh, we get all of our principal and part of the other, if not uh, all of it, and everybody goes away happy at that point in time, and it's uh, good for the debtor, and it's good for our client, and we've cut the legal expenses, we've cut the cost, we've cut the heartache and the debtor doesn't have to be looking over his shoulder wondering when we're going to be back again jason it's time for us to go to our final break so let's do that and we'll be back in a few minutes and we'll be talking about uh piercing the florida homestead exemption act
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Did you know that 80% of civil judgments awarded to creditors are never collected? Be one of the 20% that successfully collects. Joe Dickerson is the nation's leading financial forensic expert. Contact Joe at 303-974-5610 or by email to Joe at financialforensicservices.com for a free consultation about your judgment enforcement needs. That's 303-974-5610 or Joe at com for your free judgment enforcement initial consultation with Joe Dickerson. Contact him today. Learn why 80% of civil money judgments are never enforced in the United States. Ensure that you have the best chance to actually recover your judgment and get the money the court awarded to you. Order a copy of Joe Dickerson's new book, Diagnostic and Prescriptive Judgment Enforcement. You can get your copy for just $24.95 with no shipping and handling costs. Call 303-974-5610 or order via email from Joe at financialforensicservices.com. That's 303-974-5610, or Joe at FinancialForensicServices.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to the Judgment Enforcement Hour. To reach host Joe Dickerson or his guest this week, call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show.
1: Well, welcome back, uh, Mr. Ms. America. Jason, let's talk now about uh, piercing the almighty Florida Homestead Exemption Act. It can be done.
2: Well, it, it can be done. I, I have done it before. Um, at, you know, but it is, uh, it is a pretty tall mountain uh, to climb. Florida law is, uh, is, is very, very liberal whenever it comes to the homestead exemption uh, and protecting the homestead. It's actually enshrined in the Constitution of Florida. It's not, a, it's not an act, um, uh, it's not a law statute, but it is uh, part of Florida's Constitution. And so the constitutional exemption, um, uh, many of our listeners probably have have heard something about it when you uh, uh, hear about someone flocking to Florida to take advantage of Florida's homestead exemption, and they they pile a bunch of money into a Florida homestead, and and then uh, it's exempt from execution. Uh, The bankruptcy code changed back in 2005, I believe, um, uh, sometime in that time frame, to uh, prevent... Abuses of Florida's homestead exemption. Uh, and uh, and now uh, a person's not able to just run to Florida. Uh, that's called the 1215 rule. You have to have been living in the state of Florida for at least the preceding 1,215 days in order to be able to take advantage of Florida's homestead exemption. So if you've got your out of state debtor and they attempt to run to the state of Florida, uh, there is the potential avenue, at least, that bankruptcy. Uh, laws are not going to protect them. However, Florida's Constitution does protect them in that instance. So unless they file a voluntary petition for bankruptcy, um, or you put them into an involuntary petition uh, for bankruptcy, which is a a whole different issue, um, then even uh, the the day after um, a multi-million dollar judgment is entered against them, they can take all the cash in their bank accounts. They can have $10 million of cash in their bank account and go buy a $10 million mansion on Florida's beach. And, uh, and, and that uh, mansion on the beach is typically going to be found exempt from the claims of creditors. A Florida Supreme Court case even has uh, gone as far as to say, uh, we know that this is done with the intent to hinder, delay, or defraud a creditor. And uh, essentially, that's okay. Florida's Constitutional homestead exemption is that important that it doesn't matter and, and so that's that's the mountain that you're that you're staring down when you're talking about trying to pierce Florida's homestead exemption. So a couple years ago I'd put together and, and uh, participated in a uh, continuing legal education course on piercing um, the home the Florida's homestead. Um, and, and, and in that instance, we were discussing equitable liens and, and potential equitable grounds to pierce Florida's homestead. There are various ways that you can pierce Florida's homestead uh, through equitable grounds. Obviously, the voluntary granting of a mortgage. Um, you know, our, our favorite bank that we have a mortgage against, you can't take out the mortgage, borrow the money, and, and then thumb your nose at the bank and say, you know, thanks for the money, we'll be seeing you later not pay them, uh, they can foreclose. That's a voluntary lien. That's one of the exceptions uh, to Florida's homestead exemption. Um, another uh, exception typically can be if you can trace your exact money into the homestead. This is uh, the instance where someone literally robs you of a million dollars and takes that million dollars and immediately transfers it to the title company and buys, buys a house in Florida. Okay, That we can trace the exact proceeds Uh, it's likely that we may be able to pierce Florida's homestead. But if you don't slide within one of these narrow exceptions, it's going to be very difficult um, to pierce Florida's homestead.
1: Yeah, I have run across examples like you were talking about before uh, where they take all of the cash that they have uh, buy an expensive piece of property and take the homestead exemption on it and of course the next thing they do uh, once they've taken their homestead exemption is they will go out and refinance the property uh, take 95 percent of their cash back and oftentimes move it into an offshore bank account that gives them American Express cards, and they live off of their American Express cards, which uh, then debit their offshore uh, checking accounts to pay their monthly bills, and they don't have to have very much cash to operate on at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So you have to have to go back and break all that and follow it.
2: But uh, so I'm thinking of two instances where we have um, uh, been successful in, uh, in, in at dealing with Florida's homestead. The first instance is where we actually uh, we were too late. Um, but you know, we were still successful. and And it, and it looks something like this. We had um, successfully obtained an order from the court freezing proceeds and directing the debtors to not move the proceeds out of a bank account. A couple hundred thousand, three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars. I can't recall the exact number, but it was a significant amount of money. Uh, We obtained that order against the judgment debtors, and uh, and, and the judgment debtors um, immediately fled to Florida, uh, established a Florida bank account, moved the proceeds to that Florida bank account, transferred them to a title company and bought a house in a luxurious uh, neighborhood in the Orlando area, and then said, ha-ha, homestead can't touch me. Uh, my, my initial reaction was, you know, we'll see if we can't get some type of equitable lien against the property, but uh, I was ultimately convinced that may not be possible. But, you know, we, we decided to skin the cat a little bit differently. What we did in that instance is we sought civil contempt of court against the judgment debtors, they had been directed not to move those assets. They had been directed by a judge, you shall not move these assets, and they did. And they had the ability to put the assets back. All they had to do was sell their real estate, and then they could put the assets, the cash back into the bank account. So what we were going to do is we were going to hold them in civil contempt of court and ask a judge to incarcerate them and put them in jail until such time as they complied with the court order and sold the real estate and put the money back in the bank account. Needless to say, we had a voluntary mortgage placed against the property within a couple weeks' time, and our client received a satisfactory settlement from those particular judgment debtors. So it's not always about piercing. It's not always (laughs) about piercing uh, the homestead. Sometimes you can think outside the box and uh, and and get to the end result that you need to. Yeah, outside Uh, the the box works well. (laughs) The other instance I'm thinking of is an instance where uh, we pierced the Florida homestead by proving it wasn't the homestead. Is that really piercing the homestead? Well, I mean, I I think it is because they asserted that it was their homestead. And in all actuality, at the time of our trial, they were in fact living in this particular property. Florida homestead has two major qualifications. One, domicile. You have to be living there. And two, you have to have the intent to permanently remain in that in that particular abode, but the requirements of to homestead a property is that you can own real estate. A lot of uh, especially wealthy people uh, will own more than one piece of real estate. They can't homestead them all. Uh, they can't, and all of them cannot be their abode. So many times you'll have someone who has a vacation home, and that's what we had in this instance. The judgment debtors had a vacation home in Florida, uh, a, a very nice condominium uh, on a beach. And they decided to have that, and that was where they vacationed for many, many years. Ultimately, um, our client obtained a judgment against them and recorded that judgment in Florida. Upon the recording of the judgment, a judgment lien uh, will attach, uh, if, if it's properly recorded, and everything's done in accordance with the Florida law, a judgment lien will attach to the property. And the judgment lien attaches as of the date that it's recorded. And what we argued in this particular matter was it, doesn't, it didn't matter that the judgment debtors moved into the property a year or two after our judgment lien attached, and it didn't matter that they were living in the house as of the date of the trial. What mattered was, were they living in the house on the date that our judgment lien attached? And a circuit judge ultimately ruled in our favor and found that they were not living in the house at the date that the judgment was recorded. And uh, we we took no less than 160 exhibits with us to that trial. And uh, of those 160 exhibits, they were all uh, geared at proving where the debtor lived and where the debtor lived on a particular date in question. And so by proving that the debtor didn't live here, didn't live in this particular property, when our judgment was recorded, we were able to effectively pierce the Florida homestead exemption and have it declared that this is inapplicable to this piece of property as it relates to our judgment lien. And then we were able to sell it.
1: Yeah, we had a very similar case that you and I worked, if you recall, uh, also on a a high-rise condominium on the beach in Florida. And our debtor (coughs) claimed homestead on that. Of course, he had two other homes besides that. And I was of the opinion that he just uh, had put that homestead exemption uh, claim on there to hinder and delay and defraud our creditor, although it wasn't a a, uh, civil fraud. Well, it was. Uh, And what we did to prove that it was not his homestead is I found out that uh, the building uh, was accessed by card access control. So to get into the lobby, you had to use the card access control uh, to get onto the elevator that happened to go directly to his floor and stop, uh, his exclusive elevator. It was operated by card access control. Uh, The uh, front door to his condominium was operated by card access control, as was the door to the garage where he kept his uh, car locked up. So he couldn't go anywhere in that building without he or his wife using uh, their card to access Uh, the various areas in the in the building and also had to have one to get outside into the courtyard where the swimming pool was and the entrance to uh, all of the restaurants and cafes that were a part of of that uh, high-rise facility so we subpoenaed the or you subpoenaed the uh management company uh for records for opening and closing uh based on the card access control and we were able to prove from their records that he and his wife had only been in that condominium 26 days out of the year and the court agreed with uh, you and us that uh, 26 days out of the year did not constitute a homestead throughout the homestead exemption and we just closed on the sale of that condo uh, last week, so our client ultimately got their money. And uh, yeah,
2: and that's a, another instance where the electronic information um, that's now being kept. I mean, think think twenty years ago, that type of information just wasn't available. No one, you know, you had at that at that time, you had an actual turnkey, you know, with a you know with with an actual key and a, and a lock. Nowadays, oh, yeah. uh, you have these key fobs and and access cards, um, and, and not a lot of people think or, or, or realize that there's an electronic record every time that those are are utilized, and uh, those can be utilized not only in civil, uh, but they're also being utilized in in criminal proceedings, and uh, and and when these records are created, um, uh, judgment creditors are able to obtain these records. And when you obtain these records and, and you can uh, use them for uh, not only finding assets of a judgment debtor, but also disproving defenses and claims of exemption, which is exactly what we did uh, in that instance, um, you know, proving who was where and when, um, and, uh, and, and these electronic records have become uh, a goldmine of, of information and opportunities for us to capitalize on.
1: They certainly have. Jason, I want to thank you for being with us this afternoon. Uh, It's been delightful to have your insight. I'm sure all of our uh, audience has learned a lot about uh, the debtor haven of Florida and the fact that it's not always as strong as we may be led to believe. Uh, If you get outside the box and uh, go after some unique processes to get judgments. And uh, as I've always said, it's uh, not what you win, it's what you recover that matters. So thank you so much uh, for being with us this evening, listeners. Uh, we look forward to another exciting judgment enforcement hour uh, a week from tonight at uh, five o'clock mountain time. And good night to you folks. We'll talk to you next week. And good night, Julian Punkin.)
0: you for tuning in to the judgment enforcement hour be sure to join joe dickerson and another guest next wednesday at 7 p.m eastern time and 4 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel we'll bring you more case studies and advice next week